All right, this time we're going to have our children come up. We're going to move over to this side of the stage this morning. So come on up and find a spot to sit in front of the Advent wreath. All right, come on up. You can sit on the stairs or on the floor there in front. That's fine, too. Sit on the floor down there. Come on over. Keep coming. All right, so last week we began the Advent season, right? When we anticipate Jesus' coming or his arrival. And so we lit the first candle, so let's light that. Who remembers what this first candle was called? Good, the expectation candle, right? Because the people of God expected that a Savior would come, right? They believed it was coming. And so today we're going to light the second candle, and the second candle is called the prophecy candle. Everyone say prophecy candle. Good job. Prophecy candle. The word prophecy means a foretelling. It's telling something that will be coming. It's, it's a speaking into the future, all right, telling something that is going to be happening. And so the people of God believed that a Savior would come because it had been told to them, right? It had been told to them in the Old Testament, in the prophecy of the Old Testament. And so there's lots of prophecy throughout the Old Testament, lots of telling of things that would come regarding Jesus' coming or his arrival. So many of these told where the Savior would come from. They told how the Savior would come. And they even told when he would come. We read in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says this, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. So that verse says that a king, a ruler, is coming and would come from the city of Bethlehem. Now, do you know who was born in Bethlehem? Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem, right. He was the ruler, the king who was coming. And so that's one example of prophecy uh, about the coming Savior. And so there's lots, lots, lots more about those throughout the Old Testament, telling about the Savior who is to be coming. That's prophecy. So what was the name of our first candle last week, the first one? expectation candle, because the people of God expected a Savior to come. And the second one that we lit today is called the what candle? Prophecy candle. Prophecy, because the Bible told of the coming Savior. So he's coming. Good. Thanks for coming up, everybody. You can go back and have a seat. All right. Thanks, Pastor Jeff. And so we are in one of the prophecies today. If you would open up your Bibles, we are in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. And so uh, we are focusing these four weeks on peace. May the peace of Christ be yours. This text is, I was reading it one day, and this is what gave me the idea for this sermon series. Um, I should be thankful for Christmas, for all of the traditions that we have, uh, songs, wreaths, 
lights, food, feasting, gifts, families, because it communicates to us and to the world during this season of unique traditions and festivities, this peace we have in Christ. We're humans. We need these kind of um, special realities. And they do help us remember that we have peace with him. It's a reminder of the peace that God has given us in Christ. Let me read this text. I'm going to read all, verses, all, all seven verses, but we'll be mainly just thinking about the Prince of Peace here. There'll be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep, deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Father, may now your steadfast love of your Holy Spirit come to us. And give us salvation according to your promise. We trust in your word. And so take it not from us. Teach us to keep your law continually forever and ever. So that we can walk in a wide place. Father, we do love you. Teach us to delight in your commands. In Jesus' name, amen. So pastors just said the second candle was a candle of prophecy. What do prophets do? Well, prophets typically do uh, warning and promising. They warn the people because of their sin to turn from it, especially idolatry. And then they, in the midst of these warnings, give prophecies of promise that go far beyond the judgments to come. And so Isaiah uh, 9, 1 to 7 is a section of promise. It's kind of like an island of Christmas-like presents surrounded by awful warnings and judgments. If you read the chapters or sections surrounding these uh, eight verses, they're awful. But in the midst of that awful judgment because of the sin of God's people are these staggeringly great promises. So the promises are there's going to be no gloom, even though there was anguish. That land that was at one time brought in contempt will now be made glorious. Galilee of the nations. So Christ, it was promised to Abraham, would uh, be the savior of the nations. And so that's being promised here. There was darkness, but now there'll be light. There was oppression, but that oppression will be broken. 
and all of those promises will be realized in the coming of a child. And so God constantly takes that which is small and weak and does that which is eternal. God brings a child through the miraculous birth of a virgin and is going to save the world from it. That's what this promise is. And so the promise of a son fulfills all of these Christmas-like happy promises. That began very early in the Bible. Does anybody know where this, let's do a child here. Does any child know, although maybe children probably get this before adults, let's see. Uh, You have to be honest with me. Where is the first promise of a child, of salvation through a child? Anybody know, kids? Raise your hand. To Adam and Eve. All right, Lila. That's right. Eve was promised a son who would stomp on Satan's skull. And so here it is, continuing. This is the promise of all the Bible, a child, a son. So that lineage is traced from um, Eve uh, through Abraham and David. And then as we open the New Testament, Matthew, that promised son came. And so the main promise, the main reality is true because Christ is the son of that promise. And he is named here the Prince of Peace. He is the Prince of Peace because his rule, his government never diminishes, never decreases, but only increases. And so we have little babies in here. And the salvation that God promised from Eve all the way through was accomplished by the birth of Christ. So my goal is that we might meditate on the revelation that the Son of God would be the Prince of Peace. John Owen says that the revelation made of Christ in the blessed gospel is far more excellent, more glorious, and more filled with rays of divine wisdom and goodness than in the whole of creation. Uh, If you've been looking at the sunlights the last couple nights, they're magnificent. They've been sublime, beautiful. And what we see of Christ in these three words, Prince of Feasts, is beyond All of that by far. Calvin writes of this, that this last title, Prince of Peace, and the prophet declared by it that the coming of Christ will be the cause of full and perfect happiness, or at least of calm and blessed safety. The general meaning is that all who submit to the dominion of Christ will lead a quiet and blessed life in obedience to him. So we're in a time of political turmoil Some of you are going through some personal difficulty and misery. And so what are we to do? Well, we're to look to him who is the Prince of Peace. We're to look to him who, by his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection and reign, is actually bringing peace on earth and goodwill toward men. That's what he's doing. So let's take these two words, Prince and then Peace, and just think on them. That's what I want you to do. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 2, referring to the prophecies made of Christ, to those who would prefigure Christ, names Jesus the King of Peace. He's the King of Salem, the King of Jerusalem. He's the King of Peace. In Isaiah 9, 6, he referred to the Prince of Peace. And I was thinking that some of you might think, well, Prince, that's like second in command. Isn't he a king? Yeah, don't get hung up on that. This was still a promise yet to come. In relation to the Father, he is 
in a sense, second, he submits to the Father. And so the Father submits to him all the peace that we want on earth. And so it is through Christ, the ruler, the Lord, that he will bring peace. The point of the title prince is that he is the ruler. He is Lord. And so what is here promised is that there was, would be coming a day when Christ would rule over the entire earth. His reign, his lordship would cover the earth like we typically expect this time of year to be covered by snow. And so we read that the government shall be upon his shoulder. How many of you have seen the picture of Atlas? Right? You got the picture of this man bowed under the weight of the earth. Do you know the story behind that? Well, Atlas fought in a war and he joined the losing side. And so he was condemned to a life of bearing the weight. Um, it was typically only the atmosphere, but it's looked into the world upon his shoulder. It was a heavy burden for him. He's bowing underneath it. It's a strain. It was a punishment. It's not so for Christ. The government upon his shoulder is not a burden for him. It's not too heavy for him. He's not lost a war and so forced to carry. And instead, he's won by dying. And so now has been given the, the rule over all of the universe. And so this Prince of Peace is the Lord of Lords whose purpose is to save the world and bring cosmic, worldwide, and eternal peace. How many of you have been watching The Mandalorian? Anybody been watching that? Nobody, really? Star Wars, Mandalorian? A few of you don't? Yeah, okay. Star Wars fame? Have you guys, the Bielefels, have been watching? God, you guys are full of surprises with the Bielefels. No way. Are you guys streaming it on Disney Plus? The Bielefels. So anyways, in stories like Star Wars, what are they about? Or how many of you have read Dune and the Muad'Dib? Or maybe one that's more familiar with the, the Lord of the Rings. What are all of those about? They're about the promise of a son who would rule over the world and bring peace. Every one of them. Every one of them. Every story that you love is ultimately about a promised Messiah who all rule would be consolidated under and bring peace. And they're all ultimately ripping off this story, aren't they? Every one of them. That's why we love them so much. That's why we love them so much. This is Christ. He is the prince. He's the ruler. And so what do you do with that? Well, kids, what brings peace in your home? Sleep. Yeah. <laughs> when your mom and dad tell you to go to sleep, you should go to sleep. Well, what brings peace in your home is actually when you obey mom and dad. What brings chaos in your home is when you disobey. Always. It's chaotic when there's disobedience to the prince or to the king and queen of your home. So what do we do with him being the prince of peace? Well, we submit to him. That's what this is saying. If we want peace, it begins with our submission. 
But in our sin, we're, we think that the path to peace is by getting our own way. That I will have peace as soon as everybody submits to me and my will and my feeling and my evaluation of everything. And we have to ask ourselves a simple question. How's that working out? How's that going? He's the Prince of Peace. We want his peace, but we don't want the submission. We demand his peace, but we don't want the obedience or the humility that's required to get it. And so we want the peace of the prince, but not the prince. That's our world, isn't it? We demand the peace of the prince, but the prince can take a walk. That's what hell is for. Hell is for all people who want peace, but not the prince. Heaven is for all who love the prince and wait for his peace. So there is no peace without the prince. There's only chaos. So he's the prince. He's the prince of peace. There's four titles here given to him. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and then prince of peace. The prince of peace is the last one because the first three are given to ensure the final one. He's the wonderful counselor. He is the wisdom of God. He is the eternal, unchanging perfect truth and wisdom. He is the mighty God. He has omnipotent power. He can do anything at any time, unrivaled, unstoppable power. And he is the eternal father. He has life in himself. He lives forever. And because he is the full wisdom of God, knowing all things from all time, because he's the omnipotent power of God, able to do anything at any time, and because he has life eternal in himself, he can bring peace forevermore. It's striking if you read the New Testament how often Christ Jesus is connected with peace. At his birth, what did the angels sing? Peace on earth. If you read the gospel accounts of Christ. He often says to people, peace be with you. He spoke constantly of peace. In Ephesians chapter 2, 4 to 17, it says, Christ himself is our peace. He reconciled all of every kind to God through his cross, and he came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. We are urged in Colossians 3, chapter, or chapter 3, verse 15, to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. So what is this peace? What is this peace here intended of the Prince of Peace? Well, it's peace in a personal sense first. It's a spiritual peace. It's not a circumstantial peace, is what I mean. By circumstantial peace, I mean that the kind of peace you look for by 
having everything go right in your life. The kind of peace you demand where everything is aligned rightly. Where everybody is treating you well, where work is going well, where home is going well, where your physical health is going well, and your finances are going well. It's, it's a peace that's an earthly peace. It's the peace that the world seeks. That's not the kind of peace here offered, although that is coming. There is a day after Christ coming where all of our circumstances will be peaceful as well. Where every relationship, every activity, every work will be perfect. It will all work like that. But that's not here now. Circumstances disturb our peace. You know it. Your lives are often very difficult. Maybe even sometimes miserable. If you were to try to find peace at relationships or peace financially or peace in health or peace at work or peace in your own soul by looking inwardly, you wouldn't ever have it. But this is what we do in our world. If you go to a secular counselor, that's what they'll do. Yeah, that that you have peace latent inside of you and you just need to tap into it. Or there is no peace in this world except through chemicals. There's no peace in Christ offered in this world. It's just peace in the world. It's a worldly peace. It's often just a self-centered peace. If I can get others to do as I want, if I can win friends and influence them to see my point of view, then I can finally have peace. And the tricky thing is we're actually made for this. We were made for this peace. In the garden before Genesis 3, there was this peace, this unbroken friendship and union between God and Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve in creation. We've lost it because of sin. So sin has warped our souls and our hearts and our minds and taught us that we can find peace apart from Christ. What I want to do to show you how Christ actually brings peace in our lives and in this world, I want you to consider Matthew 10, 34 to 39. Turn there with me. It's going to seem strange but I think it will help you understand how the Prince of Peace has designed to rule over you to bring peace in your life. I want to read these verses. We're in Matthew 10, so New Testament, first book of the New Testament, verses 34 to 39. Do not think that I, the Prince of Peace, have come to bring peace to earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Don't you just love the Bible? <laughs> and, and, yeah. For I have come, listen to this, here's the Prince of Peace. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. 
Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And this is how the Prince of Peace designs to bring peace. Understanding this text is the key to understanding how the Prince of Peace can give you actual, real, heavenly peace in this world where there is none. What is the problem that the Prince of Peace is here addressing with these very hard words? He's getting at the heart, the source of why you don't have the peace you desire. We are attempting to find peace. We're made for it. And we are made, according to the first two chapters of the Bible, we're created in families, Adam and Eve, to be fruitful and multiply. We're made to have peace in our families. Fundamental to our being here on earth is family, home, mother, father, son, daughter. And so there is meant to be happiness in the home and peace in the home and enjoyment in the home. Family is very important. And that peace will happen in the home first if the home is rightly relating to God. If the husband loves God more than his wife, if the wife loves the father more than her husband, if the parents love and submit to God more than the children, if the children love God before mom and dad and siblings. So you have these, in the earliest chapters of the Bible, the importance of communion with God before all others. That lived out in the most important government the most important institution, the most important reality on earth, the family. What does sin do? Sin warps it. Sin tells you that the ultimate reality is family. The, the idol can become family. You can seek peace, not in submission and love to God, but in family. And so a husband, who should be rightly relating to God and leading his home, seeks peace with his wife, and so puts doing whatever he can at home, walking on eggshells, allowing sin in the home, because he fears more about his what his wife thinks or his children thinks than what God thinks. So he's seeking peace, but he's seeking it in his terms, in worldly terms. His idol is what his wife and children think of him. Or a young woman earnestly desiring a husband. A good thing. But enters into union with an unbeliever or into sexual immorality because of her need for a husband before her submission to Christ. Families put kids' extracurricular activities ahead of worship. Seeking peace. Families keep significance in hidden. Though God sees it. Because they want to portray to everybody else that we're good, we have peace. They seek it on their own terms. You can extend this 
idea that Jesus is getting at here to any area of your life, to your job, to your friendships, to your finances, everywhere. Because what, Matt, what, what the Prince of Peace is getting at in Matthew 10, 34 to 39, is that he is declaring war on anything you put before him. On anything that you seek to find peace apart from him. He is violently opposed to all loves that you place ahead of love for him. Because he knows in our fallen, sinful, warped lives, we will put father, mother, husband, wife, child, son, daughter, these vital most important relationships on earth ahead of him, thinking that that will bring peace. We will deny him in order to find peace, try to find peace in a marriage, or try to find peace with a bottle, or try to find peace in a bedroom, or try to find peace online, or try to find peace in a deer hunting stand. Or You see what he's doing here, right? Do you understand it? How he's going to get peace. Because he loves us. Because we're created to find joy and happiness and things on earth, including the most important reality, family, that we will actually be tempted to find that ultimate peace that can only be had with him in family, in reputation, in sexual pleasure, in income, in food, in anything. And when we do that, it only leads to chaos. It only leads to disruption of peace. And so the Prince of Peace is winning peace in your life, but it comes in really hard ways. It comes in really, really difficult ways. And so you have to have the faith to live in this world knowing that the Prince of Peace is bringing peace to your life by sometimes setting you against those people that are most important in your life. Where a father has to tell his child no and deal with all of the fallout all of the hatred, all of the vitriol, all of the animosity, all of the you hate me's, all of the manipulation, because you know that true peace only comes through the submission of the Prince of Peace and not my teenage son or daughter. You get what I'm getting at here, right? This is how the Prince of Peace brings peace to your life through warfare by killing idols, by taking his word, which is a sword, and plunging them through those things in him that are so dear and precious to you that you're tempted to give allegiance and love to them more than him. Because he knows that if he lets you go off in that, it will ruin it. It'll ruin you. That's what he's doing in this world for his people. 
Why is he doing what he's doing right now in this election? To teach Christians that he alone is the Prince of Peace and not your preferred political person or party. Why COVID? To teach you that he alone is the Prince of Peace. Why whatever is going on in your own little personal hell? To teach you that he alone is the Prince of Peace. To get your love in order. And he loves you enough to hurt you incredibly, to wound you, to damage you, to teach you this because there is peace there. There is safety there. There is joy there. There is hope there in him. That's why he's given you kids and marriages and hurting finances and bad health and the whole lot of it. It's actually what Christmas is about. When Jesus came to earth, the Prince of Peace had no peace. He had no peace for his 30 plus years on earth. Why? Because he loved the Father more than anything else in this world. And this world hates all who love the Father. It will not stand for it. Because this world is at complete animosity with God. And you always are being this war fought in your heart. Will you love the world or will you love God? Will you love things of the world ultimately or will you love God ultimately? Who has you? What are you living for? What do you think about? What do you set your heart on? What do you spend your time on? Where are your finances going to? And the way to really evaluate it is by how you're spending your time, finances, and heart on God's people ultimately. So what do you do with this text? Well, you thank God for the very difficult things in your life. That's why we can rejoice always. I say again, rejoice. That's why we can give thanks in all circumstances because the Prince of Peace is teaching you that there is peace and it's in him. Right? And that's what the Prince of Peace is doing right now. And the Prince of Peace will win. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. But he's doing it in life by life, slow by slow, in you, in your marriage, in your home, in your finances, in everything. He is winning peace for you by turning you away from all other things to him. Let's pray. Father, teach us by your spirit to be content with whatever you're giving us because you are teaching us to seek peace in your son alone. And help us not to leave this way up high in the air, but bring it right down to our lives, oh God. Teach us to love your son above all else by obeying him above all others in the little things, God. Please help us. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen. Well, the charge is this. We have a Prince of Peace, and the ultimate peace he's brought us is with God in heaven. I want to charge you to be praying for people in your life that you know don't have peace with God through faith in Christ. Who in your life is not a believer? How are you praying for them and what can you do? What part can you play to bring them to Christ? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord. I love you.